In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 23. Joining me today is my super smart co-host. Hey, I got the smart hey, one there, Patrick. Smart, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Patrick, how you doing today, Patrick? Yeah, very well, Mark. How are you? Uh, we've had a good week. We've been busy, um, but it's um, it's all good stuff. We're getting some great content. Um, we're getting some great interviews. Speaking of great interviews, we have a guest today. We do. Wes. Wes Moorhead of Teeks. Yes, sir. How y'all doing today? <laughs> awesome, Wes. Good. So what does Teeks stand for? Teeks stands for Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service. Quite a mouthful. Yeah. So, and so what? That's T-E-E-X. Correct. Yes. So Most what, people do spell it T-E-E-K-S, which <laughs> is not correct. <laughs> so what exactly is that? Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service has been around actually about, uh, I believe, to be 80 years or so. It was originally just Texas Engineering Extension Service, and it was really created for fire training uh, up at main campus College Station. And uh, through time, it's turned into adding the A&M on the end of it, but it's always been a part of the A&M system. And really, it's, it's, it trains thousands of people a year in everything from fire training to um, infrastructure to... Um, to emergency, oh gosh, there's so many acronyms with TEKS, it's hard <laughs> to even remember what they all stand for. But uh, when it comes down to it, they also do computers. And uh, one of the biggest parts of TEKS, and probably the most famous, is the Texas Task Force One, which are a group of first responders within the AM system that would deploy to earthquake disasters, hurricanes, really anything, else, anything that could be a pretty serious event. And uh, they respond and help people and uh, rescue people and things of that sort. But all in all, we are a very small part of a very, very large part of A&M. And uh, we fall under the Center for Marine Training Safety as well as another acronym, (laughs) SD, which is the Emergency Services Training Institute. And uh, basically everything and everything that has to do with emergency response is us. Yeah. So before we get deeper into that, um, let's talk about your background. How did you end up here? Well, I was in the Coast Guard for seven years, active duty. I joined right out of high school in 2005, and I went from there to boot camp, and then I went from there to a river tender, which I'll tell you what is a very, very weird place to get stationed in the Coast Guard when you get put on an inland river tender, but ended up being a great, great time. Then I went from there to A school, and then A school to Galveston. I've been in Galveston for about... 10 years total. Uh, I love Galveston. Don't plan on leaving anytime soon. So Yeah, we were talking about this at lunch. It's um, the, the Galveston really doesn't have a large resident population. It's a bit of a transient population. So you're like one of the old timers here. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're not BOI. but Oh, no, no, no. I'm definitely not BOI. Born on the island, if anybody doesn't know what that means. But uh, And in fact, I'm not quite a part of that clique. They definitely have a clique down here. But um, I'm, I'm close to it. I like to call myself uh, another term, Islander by choice. And right. most people are transient, coming and going, either for school or um, big ones being UTMB and the medical branch down here, as well as A&M Galveston, and then just general careers. And for me, I've been in love with Galveston since I was a little kid and moved down here and never really planned on leaving, so I really, really enjoy the place. Yeah, it's um, I, 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 we talked about this a little bit while we were at lunch. It's um, 
those coasties, man, it's uh, a lot of people in the military think their job is easy, but man, y'all are out in the water and y'all make stops and you have no idea where that stops could go. Oh right? yeah. Well that's in general with all law enforcement. But, uh, I think that most people when they look at our job are not, not too, well, I think they're just mostly just jealous. <laughs> we're on a boat all day and, uh, most of our stations are in pretty tropical, beautiful locations. Now there are the exceptions in a cold, cold, cold Alaska and, some things that I'm not too much around anymore, which are long-range navigation units. But there are some remote places, but for the most part, we got some pretty good duty stations and uh, pretty good jobs. So, All right, so you end up here, and, and how did you get involved with, with the university and with TEKS? So right out of the Coast Guard, which is, this is about 2013, I believe, I got uh, out of active duty and pretty much signed to go to uh, Texas A&M University at Galveston. Did maritime administration degree, and when I was about halfway through that, I saw a job offer for over here at Teeks, trying to teach uh, fast rescue boat classes or search and rescue stuff, and I uh, thought that was right up my alley. I thought it'd be a great part-time gig while I was in college, and won't lie, it was $25 an hour, so for a college kid, that is insane <laughs> $25 money. $25 an yeah. hour, <laughs> hanging out on the water, driving boats. Yeah. Right. That's, they just sold me at driving boats. It could have been $8 <laughs> an hour, or minimum wage for all I care at that point, but can't complain. It was still a job on the water, paid really well college-wise and thought I was going to do it for college and then go to something involving my degree, which is more actually in logistics of cargo and shipping. But then, funny how things worked out, when I, after interviewing a couple of jobs, I realized that maybe I actually wanted to still stay on the water and do what I did. And uh, so I got picked up full-time to work here at Teeks. And so four years later, I'm still working here. Yeah, so. And, and so now you're actually instructing. Now you're actually teaching. Oh, I always was instructing. Oh, actually. you always yeah, were? Yeah, okay. I was an adjunct instructor at first. And then, uh, well, you, you thought $25 an hour was the <laughs> guy throwing the water bottles? No, no, it, it was, uh, I've always been an instructor. It just wasn't always my full-time gig. And then now, and it, for, it actually originally was just fast rescue boat class. And now over the course of time, I've ended up teaching everything, the oil spill class, fast rescue boat, light boat, um, all the general safety classes that we do. So. Yeah. And so Patrick, I mean, you're, this is right in smack in your world, but when you're offshore, especially here in the U S there's a lot of certifications and a lot of training goes, goes to making sure that you can keep yourself safe and your people safe. And that's in a nutshell, a lot of stuff that y'all teach. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, we have several classes. They are ranging from, like I said, oil spill, fast rescue boat, light boat, helicopter landing officer, and there's more classes coming online, getting more into the STCW certificates. But as you toured the facility before, it's a lot of hands-on classes, only about 20% actually in the classroom. We actually get you out there driving the boats, uh, which is obviously most people is enjoying uh, what they enjoy the most especially with the old spill class, get you out there pulling boom, setting it up, making sure you know exactly what you're going to do because most people don't learn from a book anyways. Yeah, and that's – so we actually got a chance to tour. We, when we were finished this, Patrick, we probably should take some pictures to put in the show notes so people can see the facility. Mm-hmm. What's so amazing about this, this isn't an ac- exercise in academia or death by PowerPoint. They literally have the rescue boats, the helicopter, the helipad, the um, – all uh, skimming equipment, and so your your students learn how to actually do it, like hands-on, get dirty. This is how it's done. And that, like you said, that is the best way to learn anything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the only way, I think, the yeah, majority of the you can't learn this kind of stuff just in a book. You can learn the principles of why you're doing something, but the actual, the boat handling, the maneuvering, the handling these booms you have to be doing it absolutely and there's everyone learns differently i've definitely realized i'm no means by no means an expert i'm still young but in the years i've been doing this teaching adults is it takes a very very uh large amount of patience and uh, a certain way of handling things you know because you can't talk to adults the way you talk to kids they'll just shut you out so you got to treat them like an adult and um and they're, they're, it's 
it's they retain it a lot better obviously getting out there and doing it hands-on and I, I really do love it. it it's funny how things work out i was telling you earlier that if you told me i'd be teaching uh you know when i was in college i'd be like there's no no chance right. but uh it's, but help our audience how do you talk to rig hands and sailors because kids rig hands <laughs> sailors we're, we're, it's, we're blurring the line right bit. right right I, I don't know how politically correct you want me to be here you know uh, <laughs> Uh, obviously, uh, everyone in the I'm throwing myself in that hat, right, in that right. ring too. Well, <laughs> offshore industry, everybody is so so different. We get everybody from an OIM to the roustabouts to third mates through this class, and obviously, we're talking about safety, offshore safety, not the uh, oil spill class. But um, in the oil spill class, we get a good combination, everybody from Coast Guard to state agencies to mostly emergency response teams for the oil company. You told us something that was surprising at lunch. You get a lot of inland responders too. It's not just coast and ocean and deep sea we were talking uh you get a lot of inland waterways creeks rivers and, and that sort of pipeline Absolutely. companies right? pipeline yeah, yeah that's I think a, that's cool it's it's a it was and when i first met them i was hesitant about teaching whether i actually knew what they're going to need to know because that's most of my time is coastal i was in the coast guard um but they don't know too much about really the mar- marine field in general and, and anytime they're near a, a small waterway anything like a stream river which is honestly a majority of the united states especially with pipeline companies they need to know how to handle an oil spill in those situations so we teach them that and it, they're also the most fun to, to have because they literally know zero and so they have low they have high well high expectations but they're just more open to learning because they don't have anything pre-taught to them they're just learning everything for the first time and so they're a lot of fun to deal with so like a big sponge right they just want everything you can teach them absolutely and they love the boats they get to drive a <laughs> boat and they're just uh, ecstatic and they're sending pictures back to their loved ones and family back home like yeah i'm here for this class and can't believe i'm getting paid to go drive boats right now so they're usually pretty pretty fun so we talked about some of the classes y'all teach here and a fast rescue boat you got a chance to actually explain to me what that was and we actually got to go see a couple of them the cool thing is you have more than one and you have different sizes so i'm sure that the students appreciate the fact of understanding the variables of the boats i'm sure they handle a little bit different depending on how size the size of the boat what the wave conditions are all that sort of stuff and oh, that's, well, absolutely and uh, knowing a lot of our competitors, that's the one thing that sets us apart is the fact that we have multiple platforms with the fast rescue boats. And so they get to experience all different sizes and learn how to drive the the uh, jet drives for the first time and, or maybe their second or third times. But we do have a lot of repeat business because they like the way we put on a class. And so um, hopefully if you haven't been to Teaks, you can come try us out. We have several types of fast rescue boats. We only sadly have one lifeboat, uh, but we're looking at getting more so our lifeboat can actually have the same advantage as our fast rescue boat class has. That way you can see multiple platforms. Yeah, I don't want to jump the gun too early, but you said that y'all are planning on a major expansion here in the next year or so. Oh, absolutely, and I'm excited to see this place change. I have only been working here uh, four years, but my boss has been working here 16 years. The amount of change he's seen has been crazy, and I can only imagine because the amount of change I've seen in just four years has also been crazy. Uh, Everything something as simple as our parking lot you know it was dirt and gravel when i first started working here and now we have a nice paved hundred and something number of parking place and so we uh we're looking at maybe adding on a pool facility here that's going to have a wave generator as well as a helicopter underwater egress trainer or Hewitt for people who know what those are and we're going to actually be able to run multiple classes as long as well as work in partnership with AM Gallison have diving classes there as well for their scientific diving courses so it should be a lot of fun to see that and it's going to be multi-million dollar facility it's going to be great can't wait yeah it's a and we talk we talk about this a little bit but we talk about oil spill responses so when, when a company 
has a spill, that first couple minutes, the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes are, are hypercritical. Um, and y'all actually teach these students what to do in that zero moment, right, right when something hits the fan. Oh, our courses are almost always geared for first responders, people that are within there within the first few hours. With the oil spill class, it's no different. Majority of the classes or students that we have coming through are going to be the people that are get there first. And so we go through notifications, who you're going to notify. And then, honestly, to try and uh, mitigate the risk, you know, try to actually keep the oil spill from getting worse because no doubt oil spill situations are terrible uh nobody wants to be in one but when you do your first your first and your first instinct should be to how to keep it from getting worse how to minimize the impact of the environment things of that sort so um obviously as the spill starts to develop and it goes through time more people are going to show up to help you out government related as well as osros which stands for oil spill removal organizations and they're usually people that you've contracted through with the company that will come and actually help you out and uh, clean it up that kind of stuff but it takes a while for them to get there, and so your job as the company is to try, in the beginning, try to minimize the impact, like I said before, and um, could divert, contain it, collect it as much as possible, so that way um, your financial burden as a company is significantly less. Yeah, and your liability, and the safety of your people. If people make the right choices in that first hour or so, it can make a huge difference in what the end result looks like. I mean, we've I've seen it personally. Um, so I've seen it both ways. I've seen some really very well-trained people do the right things in a moment, and it greatly mitigated that risk. And I've seen some people that weren't trained do the wrong things, and they took a small problem and made it to a huge problem for the company. <laughs> That's a good point, Mark. I was going to ask, when you get these different background people coming in here, do you have people push back on some of the training on notifications? When I first started working on oil tankers, I got reprimanded for using, it was drip or the, the nomenclature. I said something about a drip or a leak on the radio and captain came down <laughs> on me hard. You don't say spill, drip, leak, anything that indicates it. And it was, it had nothing to do with the water. It was something internal that I was talking about, but do you get people pushing back? Like, well, that's I'm never going to say that on the radio until... Oh, I get pushed back from everything. The people in the oil spill class are typically age ranging from mid-20s to as much as the actually early 60s I'll have as well, and which is sometimes tough because it's a very uh, physically demanding class as far as pulling boom and setting all that stuff up. But there is plenty of pushback, especially from the people that have been in the job for a long time because they know how they like to run things or the way it's been done in the past. But... Obviously, anyone who knows this industry knows that it's constantly changing as far as um, uh, as far as what's the word I'm looking here for um, policy, regulation, regulation policy, and policy yeah. um, as well as the best way to handle situations. The science and technology of oil spill response is changing drastically, too. And it seems like with every major spill or we call it a spill of national significance, which would be Exxon Valdez as well as Deepwater Horizon, uh, we have th some major changes because so many people jump on the bandwagon and, and for good reason try to help out and think of better ways to clean up oil spills. But it always seems how somehow it comes back to the same old technology. It's just booming and skimming is all we always come back to as far as the, the best way to keep it from getting worse. Everything else requires too much permission. Like everything else as far as especially dispersants and in situ burning requires you to get extra levels of approval. And it can sometimes, especially in western states like California or Alaska or anywhere that is very, very extremely environmentally friendly, it's going to be almost impossible sometimes to get those things approved. So and it definitely changes state by state. So, uh, yeah, going back to what you said about pushback, there's always pushback whenever there's change in anything like that. Thankfully, though, um, everyone's got a pretty good open mind when they come to the class. And I just teach the curriculum and 
hopefully they enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's also a cultural thing. This industry as a whole doesn't like change. And so you have a room full of people who don't like change and you're trying to teach them something new. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once again, the whole bad or the difficult part about teaching adults, you know, they, they definitely do not accept change. Very I don't well. need any of this. I just need a case of Dawn and I'm, I'm good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've heard that many, many times, which obviously Dawn Dishope is a big no-no yeah. in oil spills. So. Yeah. It's, um, but the, the technology, so the, the process has changed. The tools have more or less stayed the same, although the tools have gotten faster, right? So skimmers have gotten faster than it used to be. Booms have gotten lighter. Um, but things like um, modeling the spill using software and using big data analytics, that didn't exist a few years ago. And so, so even the tools have changed. So that's that, actually a big part of the class that I teach that most people are coming in and learning for the first time because booming and skimming is hasn't changed a significant amount. Uh, the skimmer equipment has, obviously, but the booming strategy has not. But with that software, there's so much software out there available to first responders. And so when they come to the course, that's a if there's one, if there's people taking notes, it's usually in that portion of the class. They're writing a bunch down, getting uh, all the available software that's almost always for free out there available to you. So that way they can go back and uh, use that technology to help them make a better decision on what they're going to do with. Do y'all have a recommended list of? software out there that uh, oh absolutely and it's all free it's most of it is on the noah website i was about to uh, say noah's hip deep in that and the cool thing about noah is they use all their sensors all their buoys and everything that are out there and they use that so it's not modeling based upon a mathematical model it's modeling based upon current atmospheric conditions which is really cool and like i said just a few years ago that didn't even exist oh yeah, okay. yeah. and then the state um texas in general their state agency the general land office is so far ahead of most of the other states as far as oil spill response and they send out software every year or a disc every year it's called the toolkit and it has everything you could ever imagine as far as information uh to help first responders uh, and all responders in oil spills to better manage the spill and everything from paperwork to tools and applications and just generally anything and everything that can help you out and make a decision uh, quicker is on there. So. Yeah, and isn't it funny how many people that work in this industry that may be a first responder to an oil spill that don't know that there's software out there that help them? <laughs> I mean, it's almost kind of scary sometimes. There's apps on your phone now for it. It's, every, it's crazy, absolutely insane, what's going, how it's changing. So y'all teach more than the fast rescue and the, um, the oil spill. Y'all do also do safety classes, right? Offshore safety classes? That is, uh, and, and depending on the price of oil, we're obviously directly related to that. The offshore safety classes was actually our biggest client or biggest uh, income. And Teach is completely self-funded. So whenever we have obviously more students, uh, we're able to do more at the facility, add more things on and stuff like that. So for... Um, one other oil industry is doing great. We have a significant amount of students, and um, the classes I think at one time were in as much as some eighty plus a month total because we have these classes weekly. Now they nowadays are much 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 lower, um, but that's to be expected. Yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. but as the price of crude creeps back, y'all will start picking up more and more students. But I want to kind of do a little bit deeper dive because this is the HSE podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Around offshore uh, rig safety, it's um you know we've talked on this podcast and we've talked on lunch and we've talked in previous podcasts is how much things have changed offshore the safety requirements have changed so much in the last 10 years but but for the better it's gotten so much safer to work offshore now Um, you want to talk a little bit about you know how y'all make sure y'all are current with what's going on especially like in the gulf of mexico a lot of that has to do with now knowing how to uh, navigate the coast guard systems and everything like that and the coast guard is very very good about letting everybody know when there's significant change most of it seems like the industry knows when there's about to be massive change and there's different governing bodies that tell 
the offshore industry, what they need to follow by, and obviously a lot of it has to do with flag state and things of that sort. But here we mainly teach Coast Guard approved classes, SCCW, and that satisfies most requirements for anybody uh, that work in the world in general. But go, sorry, what's more the direct question there? Yeah, so I just really kind of want to kind of get your feedback. It's um, because the offshore safety requirements and the processes have changed so much, y'all have to figure out a way to stay current. And I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Like, how do y'all do that? Like with the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard. Yeah. They very, very, very clear about the way a course is supposed to be written. And to write a course uh, is not easy. They have a certain regimented structure. And so we actually fill out the, the course requirements, send it back to them, they approve it, and then that's usually good for a certain time, like a five years, a certificate. And then once the end of that five years is up, you have to resubmit your package. And all in most of the facility you look at will have their certificates posted and it'll tell you when they expire and things of that sort. So you're constantly always going through a resubmission of package to double check that you are still falling by the most up-to-date requirements of that. And so they, and they look through everything, they can still audit you, uh, anytime you can actually have people that come through the course that we you know almost like narcotics officers that are you know, imitating Undercover. under yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. And imitating uh, other people and and they'll make sure that you're actually teaching what you're supposed to be teaching so we always have to constantly be on our best uh, to make sure that we're following by those standards um, to a T but other than that it's it's it doesn't it's not like they're gonna throw you a curveball ever like it's not gonna also an overnight boom done you got to fall by these standards it's usually when they change these processes you'll know years in advance that hey this is this is where we're going make sure by this date you're following by the right right method right yeah so so the regulatory regular regulatory agencies let you know if there's changes and then y'all adopt the courses to make sure that you'll meet those so so y'all are always in step with what needs to be taught always out there. and yeah. it, no matter where you go if they have the same certificate we're all teaching to the same standard now the, what's kind of interesting is that the standard is actually very vague when you when you read what it says what you have to do uh, it's not ver, it's it's not necessarily very very specific it says you must meet these requirements um, but then the course also has to be a certain time and if you really just taught what they told you to, to teach you would be a very short course so you actually get to add in some of your own stuff in there and make your course you know what I, what I like to think is also maybe more the competitive side of it make your course a little bit better than somebody else's by giving them something that's not really in other courses so you have the minimum and you meet that minimum to get the package but then you can throw more in there give the students more information and that's obviously what hopefully sets you apart from competition is that you're giving them more information more actual training for their for their dollar so and in this market you said something interesting at lunch that about the class size that right now because of the low low crude price and the drop in attendance y'all take a class size of one and I've had classes canceled because they didn't get enough, you know, they didn't hit the five or 10, 10 mark. I think that the minimum class minimum thing is, as of right now, with the way the oil prices are, is kind of n- not a standard. I think most people are taking these small classes because business wise, you don't want to send clients away because if you send them away, there's going to go somewhere else. Uh, it, there's, there's a lo- it's a very saturated market of training and there's multiple other options out there that people can actually go and get these certificates. So if they don't go to you that week and you know, they, they're set to a very specific schedule with their rig or their ship and they're only on land for a certain amount of time, they, if you can't do it, they're just going to go to somebody that can. So for us, it's better business to just take the one person classes or two or three. Honestly, that's, just more hands-on for them. They get to drive the boat the whole time. So they're <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I don't want to advertise it too much that you can just sign up one person and y'all are going to take one <laughs> one offs every time. But well, but I have had classes canceled on me because they didn't hit the minimum threshold. And like you said, 
that was in a time that I had my 28 days off, but I needed that for my next hitch or you didn't mm-hmm. get promotion and or the, somebody else had to pick up that the piece training, of work. Co- the companies at that time that were doing training, uh, we were all doing extremely well because the fact there's just uh, so many clients, there's so many p- students that needed it. So if you, you were, it cost you money in some of those situations to run a one person class. But for us right now, the way it's, the way it's running if you send that one student away, they might then go back and talk and say, hey, I didn't get my class that one day because they sent me away, you know. So then it might give you a bad name uh, or a bad um, look bad in front of other people. Yeah, absolutely. So then they're just going to start taking more of their training. So you, it's not it's not uncommon, I think, now to sometimes take a hit on a single class. So that way, in the long run, the bigger picture, you're still profitable. Um, yeah, and, and you're also sending somebody out there to be better equipped to be safe out there, and, and that's a good thing, no, no matter how you look at it. Oh, yeah. You're no doubt, the less students, you're actually the better the training, for sure. You get, it's, what great student ratio is that? <laughs> that uh, one-to-one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, Wes, uh, we're going to, I guess I got a question. It's, uh, we talked a lot about training, talk about the different things that uh, you, you offer. What if a company had a training requirement that isn't in your current curriculum, and it was a big enough demand. Can y'all actually do custom training? Absolutely. Everything we have is custom, especially with oil spill. I, can't, I can honestly say that the majority of our classes are customized because uh, every company is very, very different. So whenever they say, hey, well, this is our environment, it's not really too much of what you have in this normal curriculum. Can you better suit us with something else? But, oh, yeah, we, we can travel a lot too. But more with the offshore safety-wise, there's a pretty much – there's only so many SECW classes, and they know what they're looking for. Um, so same thing, it's customizable. If there's a plenty of plenty of people that want it, we're gonna make it. We're gonna write it up. The only thing, it's the only thing that's a bummer is that it takes a while to write up those courses. It's not like, if it's not a regulated course, like by the Coast Guard didn't regulate it, which is obviously oil spill and a helicopter landing officer class like that. It's very very easy to then write the course how they want it, and then just put on great training. But whenever it comes around to these courses that are regulated, you can't just throw it together last minute right. and say, hey, we're doing it, you know, so you got to still be approved. But we pretty much have every course written and approved for the most part. And so even if we don't have it on the schedule, if you want it and you and it, it, no matter what size the class is and you ask, it doesn't hurt to ask. And I guarantee you I prob- we can probably make it happen as far as whatever you're looking for. Yeah, so if you're a, a service company, if you're an upstream company, if you're an operator, if you're a pipeline company, if you're a refinery, if you're an ethylene cracker, and you're looking for some good, solid, hands-on, practical training, give Wes a call. You know, reach out to Teeks and see if they can help you. It's um, I've been very impressed by the facility here. Um, it is it is state-of-the-art combination with hands-on, um, which, like we talked about earlier, is, is absolutely the best way to get that knowledge in somebody's head where it sticks. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, Wes, now it's time for our Red Wing safety tip of the week. What safety tip do you have? Uh, my safety tip would obviously be, because uh, it's definitely pertained to my Coast Guard experience, would be to make sure you always move your rings and your watches when handling lines. Uh, you've seen several degloved fingers because of something, something as simple as that they forget to remove. Um, so take them off. You don't, you don't need them when you're on the boat, when you're handling lines or that kind of stuff. Even yeah. if you're just walking the deck, don't, don't wear it out there. If you have to get, get your hands dirty, you... Yeah, it's not worth the risk. Absolutely. Uh, and all it takes is a line to let loose and grab a hold of that ring, and it's going to strip the meat off the bone. Oh, right? it's, and, and you don't want to go down that road. Yeah, you're going to look like Skeletor on that <laughs> hand right there. Yeah, I'm so. going to leave the pictures out of the show notes on this one. but <laughs> I'm sure you can Google it and find quite a few. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's a perfect, awesome safety tip of the week. All right, so now it's perfect for our Red Wing bag winner of the week. Wes, do you have a Red Wing offshore bag? 
I do not. If you want one, it's a pretty easy thing to do. You go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there, and we draw one lucky winner a week. The bag's actually sitting right there, right? Is that my bag? No, that's, that's my bag. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you want one, not just Wes, but our audience, if you want one of these awesome offshore Red Wing bags, redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. See the official site for rules and regulations. And this week's winner is... Eric Stoltz with Wood McKenzie does business development. Congratulations, Eric. You have won this awesome Red Wing offshore bag. Uh, Patrick, um, what else do we have going on before we get out of here? We are going on a road trip. We're going on a road trip. Where are we going? We are going to Tulsa. We're going to the Mid-Continent Digital Oil Field Conference uh, next week. Yep. And we're going there. This trip's made possible by the Oklahoma Energy Resources Board. Uh, and their mission is basically to use the strength of Oklahoma's greatest industry to improve the lives of all Oklahomans through education and restoration, and also through SOAR, the Sustaining Oklahoma's Energy Resources. So we thank them for making this trip possible. If uh, we're also, Patrick, will be at the NAEP Summit in February. February we'll be, 15th through the 17th, yes. Yep. We'll be at Process Safety and Oil and Gas March 7th through 8th. We'll be at the SPE HSE conference in April in New Orleans and we at OTC with National Oil Well. And I've been working on that a lot. This is gonna be really cool. We're gonna have all three podcasts at National Oil Wells, invitation only shrimp boil. Absolutely. And don't forget our live event that's coming up the first quarter of 2017's probably end of March, middle of March, somewhere in there. Yep, we're working on the details. We'll get the announcements out there. But if you want to be notified first, the thing to do is do what, Patrick? Uh, join our LinkedIn group. Join the LinkedIn group. That's where we're gonna know that's where we're gonna know, uh, let everybody know what our live event is first. Um, but back to our travel, if you'd like Patrick and I to come out to your trade association, your company, your conference, HSD meetings, even your gun club, reach out to us and we'll, we'll share the details with you. We'd love to come out and uh, meet you and, and, and talk to your company or your group. And our, and our footprint's expanding. We have the podcast, now we're on Facebook Live, so you're, you, uh, <laughs> you want us out there. Yeah. And then if you've been listening for a while, you know that I messed up and I broke the iTunes feed, <laughs> so we lost all of our reviews. Please, if you left us a review before, can you go back and leave us another one? If you haven't left us a review, can you do me a favor and leave us one? It helps us with our search engine rankings immensely. And then if you like the show, can you share it? It's uh, really easy to share. We actually have our own website now, so it's oilandgashsne.com. You'll find all of our shows there, a zillion different ways to share it. Um, Links to all our guests, their their companies, their free resources, everything they've got is on that website. Yeah, and we're actually start doing some blog posts pretty soon there too. So um, there's an email form. You can sign up there, and we promise not to spam you. Sign up, and you'll be notified the moment anything goes live on our website, which will be all the blog posts and all the all the shows that we put out and all the events that we're going to do. And for our live event, we're not sure exactly how we're going to give away tickets for it, but more than likely, that's going to be the place to go. Yeah, yeah, that will be the place to go, at least to get started. And then stay tuned. We have a, a couple of new shows coming out this year. We have Oil and Gas Industry Leaders. Probably is going to go live the very beginning of March, into February, beginning of March. So that should be an awesome show. And then, Patrick, I guess we're getting kind of close to winding all this up. Wes, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. This was fascinating. Thanks for giving us the tour. Um, we're going to go back out and capture some pictures so we can actually put it in the show notes so people can see. Uh, if you're a company out there and you're looking for a uh, top-of-the-line real hands-on training, reach out to Wes. We'll put his contact information there. Um, he'll do his best to help you out. Uh, thanks for being on the show. It was thank great. Thank you very much. I had yeah. a great time, and I appreciate it. Thanks. So, Patrick, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai 
and beyond. Back whenever we were doing a security zone up in, in Maine, which is pretty close to our house, of George Bush Sr. or the George Bush family that they have up there. And uh, we were doing a security zone, and we knew that uh, George Bush was up there, um, but, you know, typically we don't ever see very much, and we're just manning the zone. Um, so mainly our job is to make sure that no one's coming into the zone, you know, no one could do harm to the president and uh, or to the, the ex-president at that time. And uh, <laughs> while we're sitting there, while we're looking at the radar, a little blip comes up, and it's uh, coming from the opposite direction. It's going from the inside out of the zone. And uh, we, we all turn our heads and look around the corner. And we uh, haven't been trained for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're like, this is not normal. <laughs> this is not normal. So as we look around, we see, uh, and this is, I believe, to be 2007. So this is whenever George, George Bush Jr. was still president. And uh, he, the boat, there's a Chris Craft, which anyone who's familiar with boats, a brown, wooden, very, very pretty boat is hauling, uh, screaming across the water, and it's going outside the zone. And it is George Bush Sr. and Jr. <laughs> on this boat, and he is just tearing it up, waving to us like a, like a, a crazy – and it just <laughs> we're like, man, we're just, just shocked. We're like, that's the president and the, and the ex-president driving by. And, and uh, we're like, man, where in the world is the Secret, Secret Service? Service. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it is not a, – it's a solid – 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and here comes this all-black boat that says U.S. Secret <laughs> Service on it, and it is overloaded with, like, 20-plus <laughs> Secret Service guys, all with their ties blowing the wind, guy puking just out the sides. <laughs> just trying to keep up with the president, and the president just left him in his dust. 